0: My chains are gone. God sets us free. This is a good day, isn't it? Yeah, I just want to tell you, if you want to rerun, you can come back for the second service. That's at 1045. Uh, but it is, it is a day, a good day, a day of good news. As I think of, of the world in which we live today, there's a lot of kind of bad news, things that aren't the best today. If you watch television or if you go on the web or you get your news in any other way, you'll find that there are all kinds of things going on. There are shootings uh, there's protesting around the country. There is uh, division and divisiveness. It doesn't matter whether it's between the sexes or between races or between political groups or whoever it is. It seems like we are divided and we hear a lot about bad news. But I want to know that there is good news this morning. That's what the gospel means. That's the translation of the word gospel, it's good news. And so we've got good news for you. One of them is I got a pen for you when you leave. So uh, be sure to pick that up on your way out. Uh, where's David? We're going to make sure they get the pins, aren't we? You've got somebody. Even if you're busy, you got somebody to get the pins, right? David is the one that's dressed up like an Easter egg this morning. That's what he told me when he walked in. And uh, you want to give him a look, David? No, no, you need to stand up so they can see you're an Easter egg. Okay, no hopping, no hopping. You're not an Easter bunny. You're an egg. You're an egg. So anyway, I want to talk about good news this morning. I want to talk about uh, the resurrection, the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We talked about the significance of the cross on Friday night, and I think it's important that we just take time to to look at the resurrection. What does it mean? What does it mean? And uh, if you were to come back and ask me exactly, what do I believe the resurrection is important, or why is it important to me? It's because when Jesus rose from the grave, he conquered death, and He made it possible for me to have new life. And I know that. I believe that. And so that's exciting for me, but we want to look at a few other things there as well. And uh, then once we look at what it means, I want to talk about why does it matter to us? You know, today there are going to be millions of people all over the world gathering together in services just like this. Some will be wearing their Easter best. Some will be wearing a little more casual. Some got up uh, before the sun rose and they were out on a mountaintop or in a park or someplace celebrating an Easter sunrise service. Some are in churches around the country. Um, You know, big churches, small churches. Some churches have multiple services. Some will have one service. But they've all come together for one reason, and that is to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why is it so important? You know, I, I read a, a statistic in 2016, Rasmussen did a poll. They said in America, 77% of the people in the United States believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Three out of four. If you went over to Food Max today and you began to poll the people coming out, if they are typical Americans, they believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's amazing. And so when we come together on Easter, it's for that reason. It's because we believe that. Um, many people, I think, might say, well, I believe it, but I'm not sure that I understand it all. I'm not sure that it totally makes sense to me. And so we want to look at that this morning. Um, let me just say, as we begin, the resurrection is verified by his, as historical fact. There is so much... Material out there from back when the resurrection took place, written material, documentation that we have. In fact, the Bible tells us there was one time that over 500 people together saw Jesus Christ after the resurrection. That's amazing. You go in a courtroom, you know what they're going to say is the most valid evidence? Eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses who have seen it. And When Paul wrote that, he said most of these people are all alive still. You want to check it out? You go talk to them. We're told that there were probably 15 different occurrences where Jesus Christ met and talked to people and spent time with them, and so we see that it was verified at that time. But uh, the question is, what does it mean? What does it mean to you? What does it mean to me? If, If we could just say Jesus rose from the grave, but we really don't understand what it means, then... It doesn't make much of a difference. So I want to I want to talk this morning. Three things in terms of what it means. i got got to get three fingers up there. I've been working on that since I was a toddler. Uh, number one. Number one, Jesus was who he claimed to be. And uh, I, I want you to understand that. When Jesus claimed that he was the resurrection and the life, that's exactly who he was. When he claimed that he was God, that's who he was. And we're going to talk about that. He is also... Uh, the resurrection demonstrated that he had the power he claimed to have. He had the power over death. Wow, I don't know anybody else that can really say that. A lot of doctors work at making us better. But to say they have power over death? No, they can't claim that. Only God could do that. Only Jesus Christ. And then Jesus will do what he promises to do. And, boy, that's important for us. So the first thing I want to do is talk about the fact that Jesus is who he claimed he was. And if you go, well, you don't need to. I'll, I'll uh, look at most of these passages because we're going to be moving quickly through them this morning. But in John chapter 11, uh, Jesus had a very good friend by the name of Lazarus, and Lazarus became very, very sick, uh, sick to the point of death. And his sisters, Mary and Martha, sent to Jesus, and they said, if you just come quickly, you can heal him because Jesus had healed a lot of other people. And Jesus procrastinated. If you read this passage, you realize it says he waited. He procrastinated. He didn't go immediately. And when he got there, Lazarus is already dead. He'd been in the tomb for four days. Martha was kind of almost castigating Jesus because he hadn't come on time. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, well, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus made this statement, and I think it's a very important statement. He said, I, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And that's a promise that we have today. If we believe in him, we have eternal life. He says, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Martha, do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Even he who comes Into the world. The most amazing fact to me about Jesus is that Jesus claims to be the resurrection because he claims to be God. Jesus made that statement. I've had people come to me and say, Well, Jesus never said he was God. Yes, he did. You know, if if you go back, well, the book of John says it in several different passages, but in John chapter 1, I want to read this to you because it gives us an idea of who Jesus is. It is only as fully God and fully man that Jesus was able to be our sacrifice, that he was able to pay the penalty for our sins. So it says, in the beginning was the word. And we say, well, who's the word? Verse 14, it says, the word became flesh. It dwelt among us. We saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So if he is the one who became flesh, he dwelt among us, that's talking about Jesus. So let's go back to verse 1 of John 1 again. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. It it means kind of alongside of God. And then it says he was God. You see, we believe in a a triune God. We believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It, It goes back to when God said, let us, plural, make man in our image. It doesn't mean there were multiple gods. In fact, it says there's only one God in the Bible. But he's made up of three individual persons. We don't totally understand it all, but we take it by faith. It says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and this word, this Jesus, was God. He was in the beginning with God before anything else was. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. John in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Who created them? God. What does it say? Jesus created them. Jesus is God. Jesus is who he says he is. That's verified. If we go back to John chapter 8, verses 57 through 59, Jesus was arguing, debating back and forth with Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, in terms of who he was. And and, and, uh, Jesus made a statement, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. In other words, he says, I was present when Abraham was. And he saw it and he was glad. And so the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. And you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. Uh, The reason that's significant is because the tense of the verb. If Jesus was simply saying I existed before Abraham, he would have said before Abraham was, so was I. I was before Abraham. But what he says is before Abraham was, I am. We go back to Exodus chapter 3. And uh, Moses, God had said to Moses, I want you to go into Egypt and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. And they said, well, they're going to ask me who you are. And this is what God said to Moses. I am who I am. And he says, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am, just the words that Jesus used in John 8, I am has sent you to me. And and it's that picture that he uses the very term for God, the, the very term that God had. And the Jews back here in verse 8, they picked up stones to stone him, to throw at him because he called himself God. We go back to one last passage, and I want to do this because I think it's important that we verify who Jesus was. Uh, Jesus had risen from the grave. He had met with his disciples in the upper room, and they were all there except this one guy by the name of Thomas. How many of you know who Thomas is? How many of you know his nickname? Doubting Thomas. Have you ever been called a Doubting Thomas? I have. (laughs) Times when I did. oh, you got to be kidding me. Anyway, Thomas wasn't there. And Jesus came eight days later, and he came into the same room. All the disciples were there, including Thomas. And he said, Peace be with you. That's Jesus. And then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands. And reach here with your hand and put it into my side. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. And listen to how Thomas saw Jesus. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And now if Jesus was not God. you know what he would have done? No, 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 no Thomas. You got it wrong. I don't want you to call me God. Because I'm not God. But that wasn't what Jesus said. In fact. Jesus verified that what Thomas said was true. And he came back here. And, and where Thomas said that. He said because you have seen me. And you have believed, Thomas. Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. And what I want you to realize is that Jesus said, I'm God. If he is God, then he has authority over the, over the life. But if he's not God, he doesn't. It's important to realize who Jesus is, that we understand who he is this morning. You know, it, it, a lot of people today would say that, Wow, Jesus is a good teacher. All of those parables and the stories he gave and all of those things, man, he was a good teacher. And and that would be great because he was. But if that's all he was, it wouldn't have mattered because then we would just have great teaching but nothing else. It would be kind of like if uh, one of the pastors in our community, maybe in one of the larger churches or or maybe maybe somebody would say this about me. Who knows? Boy, he's a good teacher. Wow, I love his preaching. He is such a great teacher. And, and that would be fantastic. I'd say, yeah, and I'd have to be a little bit careful about pride and those kinds of things, you know, a little arrogance. But if on that one Sunday I stood up and said, oh, by the way, I'm also God. Yeah, see, I already saw some of you go, oh, no, we know you well enough to know you're not God. Arthur just gave me a dirty look when I said that. I want you to know something. You would be sending for the little guys in white coats to come and take me away and tie my arms behind my back so that I wouldn't hurt you or someone else. But Jesus not only was a great teacher, he was also God. Man, God, God in the flesh. He is the resurrection and the life. Back in John chapter 2, Jesus came in and he drove the money changers out of the temple. And I want you to understand why I'm going here because it has to do with how the resurrection is a verification of who he is and what he says. But in chapter 2 of John, beginning in the uh, 19th verse, actually I want to start a little higher than that. He was driving the money changers out because they were scamming the people coming in. They were scamming them into thinking they had to get better sacrifices. Theirs weren't good enough. And he was scamming them because they needed to, uh, they needed to change their money into the money that the priests and the, and the money changers had. And so Jesus said, you can't do this. And he made a scourge of cords. And he drove them out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables I just want you to notice something. I read that, and I always think, man, Jesus wasn't very much of a wimp, was he? He was powerful. And those who were selling the doves said, take these things away. He told them, take them away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. And his disciples remembered that he'd written, zeal for your house will consume me. And the Jews then said to him, well, what sign do you show us? as your authority for doing these things. What right do you have to drive us out? Jesus made a statement, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews then said, it took 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. And when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. What was the verification that what Jesus said about himself and his authority were real? It was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, without the resurrection, there would not have been the verification that Jesus had the right to do that. Jesus made another statement in John chapter 14, verse 6. He says, I am the way. I'm the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father but my being. You know what he's saying? I'm the only way. I'm the only way. He said there's no other way. Uh, <laughs> only one way to get to God. Uh, a lot of people today say that, well, if, if you're sincere, it doesn't matter. All religions are the same. They basically have the same God. They all reach the same end. And yet, Jesus said that's not true. He says there's only one way. No other way. There aren't a number of different ways. If, if you thought it was sincerity that made it possible, I'll use David as an example again. If, if, if you thought it was sincerity, then I could say, I'm going to call David's cell phone. I've got my phone here, and I'm going to call David's cell phone. It doesn't really matter what number I use, as long as I'm sincere about wanting to get hold of David. I, I don't have my cell phone with me, David. It's over in the room. Do you have yours with you? You do? Well, you're not going to get a call from me because mine's in the other room. But let's say I called. I used any number, and I called. I would get Mary Smith. She would say, yes. I said, is David Bevilacqua there? Well, no. Who's that? Well, I dialed the phone. He should pick it up. David doesn't pick it up. I call another number. I get Joe Smith. Joe Smith, is David there? Isn't this David's phone? No smartphone isn't so smart after all that's kind of the idea of people saying I can go to heaven because I believe in any religion no matter what I believe it's going to get me there no it's not Jesus made a statement he said number one we've seen that he's God number two he said I'm the only way you may have what you think is a good way or another way Or somebody else says it's a good way, but there's only one way according to Jesus. And that's that he's the only way. And so when we look at the resurrection, because it verifies his power, because it verifies who he is, we can believe. A second thing we realize is that the resurrection showed that Jesus had the power he claimed to have. In uh, John chapter 10, uh, actually I want to go back to... uh, I won't go to Matthew right now, but in Matthew it says in the 28th chapter, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. And then he went on and he gave the great commission to his followers to, to follow. But he says, all authority is mine. In John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, John 10, 17 and 18, listen to what it says. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life, so that I may take it up again. He says, I have the right to lay it down. No one has taken it from me. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, he breathed, he he came and he made that statement, and he said, it is finished. And he breathed his life last. It was over. It was finished. There was no more. He says, no one has taken my life from me. He was not killed by someone else. He gave his life voluntarily, but he said, I lay it down On my own initiative. He says I have authority to lay it down. That's my right. That's my authority. I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from the Father. You see no force. Could take the life of Jesus Christ. No force has the ability to do that. No force. Could put him in a tomb. And force him to stay there when he was going to rise on the third day. I want you to get a picture of it. The Jews tried Jesus in an unjust trial. We know that. We know that they also took him to the Romans. The Romans hung him up on a cross and they crucified him. And then before sunrise or sundown, because it was going to be the Sabbath, they took him down from the cross. They checked it out. He was dead. They thrust a spear through his side and they put him into a grave. To make sure he didn't get out of the grave, they put a seal on it so that no one could break that. Uh, I was listening to a, a speaker this morning, and he said for that rock to have covered that that hole in the cave, in the tomb, uh, just the size of it, even if it was only about two inches thick, it would be about 4,000 pounds. Somebody's just not going to come and roll that away. And so they put him there. They sealed it. They put a 24 our Roman guard in front of the tomb so that he couldn't get out. And yet on the third day, the stone was rolled away and Jesus was gone because he had risen. You see, no one could keep him in the grave. He had the power of the resurrection and he makes the statement, it is my power and I am the one who did it. The father, it says, was the one who raised him. So Jesus demonstrates his power to us. The third thing I want you to realize about the crucifixion is that the crucifixion proves that Jesus will do the, what he promises to do. Mark 10:34. I want to take you back there uh, to that passage. Mark chapter 10 and the 34th verse. I hope some of you are writing these down so that you'll be able to take them home and look them up and, and be aware of where we are. But in chapter 10 of, of, jo- of Mark, the 34th verse, Jesus made this statement. Well, let me take you to verse 33. It says, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will be delivered into, or, to the chief priest and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and they'll hand him over to the Gentiles. And here's what they're going to do. They're going to mock him. They're going to spit on him. They're going to scourge him. They're going to kill him. And three days later, he will rise from the grave. If, if we were to put that in the first person, Jesus, for some reason, was speaking in the third person, but if we were to put that in the third person, it says, they will mock me, they will spit on me, they will scourge me, they will kill me. And if that's the end, boy, that's sad, isn't it? That's not good news. But it says, they will kill him, and three days later, he will rise from the grave. And we know that three days later, that's exactly what he did. He rose from the grave. In fact, if you go back to Matthew, the passage I read at the beginning of our service this morning, in Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 7, the women had come to the tomb. They were looking for Jesus. They weren't sure how they were going to get in, but they came up and the stone had been rolled away. And it says, An angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified He's not here. He's risen just as he said. Come see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold he is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him. And he says behold I have told you. And I think one of the greatest proofs that Jesus is going to do. What he promises to do is that he rose from the grave. He was not held captive by the grave. He came back out of it. And we can know that's a fact today. And we can be. Positive about it, but what does that do to me? What does that do for you? What does that do for us? We know that He is who He says He is He's God, He is the resurrection and the life, He is the only way to God. We know that He has resurrection power because that's what the Bible teaches. We also know that He keeps His promises if he promises me something today, I can know that God's going to fulfill that. I can know that Jesus Christ is going to fulfill that. Well, the resurrection proved who he was. That's good news. It proved he had that power. I want to hit some things just very quickly this morning. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them, but it's it's such good news because the fact that Jesus went to the cross, the Bible says... When he went to the cross, he paid the penalty for our sins. All have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible says somebody had to die for those. A perfect sacrifice had to die. Jesus died on the cross for us. And so I know that my sins are forgiven when I come to Jesus by faith. When I accept his forgiveness, I now have eternal life because my sins have been washed away. And I'll tell you what, there are an awful lot of people today that struggle with guilt it it may be guilt that came from something that took place in their childhood it may be guilt because of a, a relationship that's gone awry and isn't positive anymore and they look back and say man my life is messed up from this day forward it may have to do with guilt because of something at work it may have to do with guilt because just the way we feel about ourselves and yet the Bible tells us that when we come by faith to choose Jesus Christ, that guilt is removed. The sin is forgiven. Back in the book of Colossians, chapter two, verses thirteen and fourteen. Colossians two, thirteen and fourteen, it says, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your faith, Paul said, He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he's taken it out of way, having nailed it to the cross. Do you know what that really says? That's God's pardoning program. He says you're forgiven. It's no longer an issue. You don't have to carry that guilt around anymore. You can let go of it. You can be free of it. It's not essential that it control your life the way it has in the past, you know, in in Romans chapter eight verse one it says, "There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because it's been wiped out." How many of you had an Etch-a-Sketch when you were a child? Yeah, weren't those great? You'd sit there. That was the original tablet before you got the other ones you play with. You know, that was the original tablet, and you would take those little knobs and you would push them and you would make that little black line go all over the place. And uh, I was never any good with it. But, you know, the beautiful thing about that is when I messed it up, you know what I could do? I could flip it over and shake it like this, and everything was gone. And that's what God did with our sin when Jesus Christ went to the cross. When we, by faith, receive him, we can be assured of our salvation. That's what God did for us. That's what the resurrection means to me this morning. I'll tell you what else it does. It helps me deal with the issues I'm dealing with today. It, it helps me to deal with the fear I may have because of health issues. It helps me to deal with issues that I'm struggling with in terms of how I'm getting along with my husband or my—I <laughs> don't have a husband—with my wife. <laughs> It helps me to deal with all of those things that come into our lives today that seem so unmanageable. Lord, how am I going to handle the debt? How am I going to deal with the things going on in terms of my life? It's the power of God that gives us peace when we're struggling with those issues. It doesn't mean everything's going to disappear, but it certainly means that God's going to be there to go through it with us, to walk through it with us. We're not alone. Jesus says, I'll be there. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, it says, What is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. We see the power of God. He raised him from the dead, and he seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Do you know what I know? This is what I know today. I can't handle my my issues I don't deal with it very well in fact a lot of times I say wow lord I wish I had a little better time management I'm struggling with some things here it seems like things are coming from every direction but when I bring them to god god gives me a peace I wouldn't have otherwise he gives me a comfort I wouldn't have otherwise and the only reason that's there is because of the resurrection Jesus Christ giving his life for me made it possible for me to have that relationship with him uh he helps me with the, the issues I struggle with. I, I like the passage in Philippians where Paul was in jail. The Philippian people, the, the people from Philippi, sent him an offering. They said, here, Paul, we want you to have a little money. We want you to be able to handle life a little better. And so they sent it. And uh, Paul told them, thank you. He says, I could have gotten along without it. And then he made a statement. And a lot of us know this verse. It's it's misused a lot of times. But it simply says I can do all things through him who strengthens me. All things. Do you get that picture? It doesn't mean that I'm going to go out and pick up a two thousand pound, whatever it is out there, a big old rock. That's not the idea. But when I'm going through struggles and I'm going through hard times today, it may be because of a loss. It may be because of a, a relational problem. It may be because of debt in my life. It may be any number of things. When I'm going through those problems, I know that God's there with me. And I can know he's there with me because Jesus Christ rose from the grave. It takes it back there. He helps me manage what my life's like today. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication, let your request be made known unto God. And what's he saying? I'll give you peace about whatever it is. But that's because we have that relationship with Jesus through Jesus Christ. And so he he helps us today. It's something there. And then finally the resurrection guarantees my future. That I have a secure future. I know what's going to happen to me after I die. Do you? I hope so. I hope you're on the good side of that. Death isn't something most of us like to talk about, is it? We don't get together and say, hey, let's get together and talk about death. You you don't have people over for a party at your house or a dinner party. You eat dinner and afterwards you sit down in the living room and say, okay, let's talk about death. You know, all of a sudden it goes real quiet. People normally are not comfortable with that. They probably think one of two things. Either you're selling burial plots or you're selling life insurance. We just don't do that very well. Uh, death is something that a lot of people fear, and, and, and it's something they don't understand. Uh, here, they, they ask a bunch of kids about death. They wanted to know what they thought about death. Little Gilda was age 8, and I just want to read these to you. It says, she said, when you die, <laughs> age 8, when you die, they put you in a box and bury you in the ground because you don't look so good anymore. <laughs> you know, Get you out of here. <clears throat> Stephanie, age nine. <laughs> I like this. Stephanie has a good view of doctors. Doctors help you. Doctors help you so you won't die. <laughs> that is until you pay your bill. Mm-hmm. Marcia, also age nine. I wonder what these parents were talking about. Marcia's age nine. When you die, you don't have to do any homework in heaven. <laughs> oh, unless, of course, your teacher's there too. Raymond, age ten. <laughs> A good doctor can help you so you won't die. A bad doctor sends you to heaven. People, people have a deep longing to know about the future. There are pastors that spend their entire ministry talking about what's going to happen. Not so much about heaven, but, but what the future is going to be. People want to know the future. Heaven, we have a lot of misconceptions. I, I found out watching movies that heavens they have a lot of that cloudy stuff around your feet. You can't see the ground. That's not true in heaven. You know that, but that's what they say. I, I remember years ago I read a, I watched a movie. It was a animated film. All dogs go to heaven. I had a couple dogs I know aren't going to go to heaven. But we were made as humans in the image of God. It doesn't tell us whether animals are going to heaven or not. I know that when God created the Garden of Eden, that he created it with animals. When we're on the new heaven and new earth, I have no reason to not believe that there won't be animals in there. There's a few double negatives. But I, I, you know, I believe that that may be true. But I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. It does tell us about our relationship with God. And it does tell us that we can know that we are going to go to heaven. In the Bible, there are two methods to get to heaven. Do you know that? Two. Only two. One is plan A. If you're perfect, you've never sinned. You will never sin. You don't have any problems in your life. You get in because heaven's perfect. I'll tell you what, that was blown all to pieces by Adam and Eve because they sinned, and that carried over to all of us, so we got to work on plan B. Plan B is that by faith we come to Jesus Christ through the grace of God. And that's the only way we get in. God makes us acceptable through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this morning, that's the only way we're going to get into heaven. That's the only way we're going to have that relationship with Jesus Christ. I can't get into heaven on my own. I know that. uh, I'm a sinner. John chapter 17 in verse 3. I want to go back there. John 17, the third verse. It says, this is eternal life. It's about a relationship. It says, this is eternal life that you may know that you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's about the relationship with the Heavenly Father through the Son. It's, it's, it's not about being sincere and thinking that I've done a bunch of good things. It's not about doing good service. It's not about serving in the church. It's not even about attending church. Now, I I think this is a good church to attend and become a member But I got to tell you, just because you come here doesn't mean you're going to get into heaven. We don't don't have that ability. Only God has the ability to take someone into heaven. It's not about my my past, not about my heritage. I'll tell you what, my mom and dad were wonderful people and they loved the Lord. But if I base my faith on what they were and what they've done, I've missed it. I won't make it to heaven. It's not about... Rituals, not about baptism, going to Sunday school, catechism, communion, none of those things. And it's not about a comparison between me and you because there's always somebody better and there's always somebody a little worse. We have a tendency to say, sure, I'll make it because I'm better than. And you can put the name in there that you want, but you can probably also put the name in that says, but I'm not as good as... It's not based on that comparison. Plan B says I have to trust Jesus Christ. I have to put my faith in him and him alone. In First Peter, in the uh, first chapter, in the third verse, it said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. That means to be saved to a living hope. Hope is something that's secure through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection gives me hope. You know, I look at this today and I begin to understand that it's all about what Jesus Christ did almost 2,000 years ago. If he was born 2,018 years ago, approximately, then he died a little less than 2,000 years ago. But because of what Jesus Christ did, When I come by faith and I reach out to Jesus Christ, every sin can be forgiven. Every sin can be put away. I know that I don't have to live with the guilt that I've had in the past because of what Jesus Christ did for me. I also know that he is going to be there for me. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I know that when I'm going through those tough times in life, like Paul was when he was in prison, (laughs) I can trust that Jesus is there with me. But probably the very best thing is that I know that someday because of my relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm going to be with him for eternity. But the only way I get that is when I humble myself and I admit, Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up in life. I'm not perfect. And I ask you to come into my life and forgive me of my sins. And come into my heart today. And you know when God does that? When we do that. It says our salvation is secure. It's not a matter that I'm in and out. Because God says he's the one that holds on to us. We're in his hand. And he's the one that keeps us safe. So we come to the Easter service. And and, and we sit down and we say okay what does it mean? Well it means that Jesus can be trusted for who he says he is. It, it, it means that, that he has power to, to save us. It means that he has that resurrection power, and he will keep his promises. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, you need to get it right with God today. Because we don't know what happens tomorrow. I wish I could tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. I wish I could tell you what was going to happen a week from today because I'd make a lot of money betting on the final four. But I don't. And I don't know what's going to happen in your life when you walk out of these doors. But I do know one thing, and that is that you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is secure. And you need to do that before you you leave this morning. I was looking for my wife. She was going to be back there at the piano for me. But I don't see her yet. There she is, woo! Just like magic, right out of there. Do you see my authority? I can just say that, and she comes right. Back. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to give you an opportunity. While Darlene plays very quietly, I'm going to ask us to stand in just a moment. But let's pray before that. Father, we come to you this morning and. Uh, We just thank you for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's so hard to think about the death, Father. I think of this man that was perfect, who had never done any wrong, who (laughs) left heaven as God and became flesh and became man, and he gave his life, and he sacrificially laid his life down. That's what the Bible said. But he also had the power to pick it up again, and that's what we rejoice about, Father. We can have forgiveness of sins because of what Jesus Christ did. Thank you. Thank you, Father. But we have life because he rose from the grave and conquered death. And so, Father, I I come before you this morning on behalf of everybody sitting in this congregation. And, Father, if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know you, I pray that your Holy Spirit would touch their hearts and touch their lives and draw them to you. Thank you, Father. I'm going to ask you all to stand, if you would, please. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And maybe God's been talking to you this morning. You're that person that is here, and you say, I don't really know Jesus Christ. I'm not sure that I have eternal life. I'm not sure I have a relationship with him. And I want to have that relationship this morning. I want to know that... When I die, I'm going to go to heaven. I want to know that when I'm struggling with issues tomorrow that God's going to be there with me. I want to know that he's going to take away the guilt and the shame in my life, maybe from an ugly habit or something we've done in the past or a broken relationship, an addiction. It can be any number of things, Father, but if you're here today and and, and you have something in your life and you just say, wow, Lord, I, I want to have a relationship with you. I'm going to ask you to just step out where you are and come down to me. And I have a couple men on either side of the, the congregation this morning, and they'd like to just go into one of our rooms and sit down and share what it means to be a Christian. Keep your eyes bowed, or your heads bowed, your eyes closed. And if you'd like to make that commitment to Jesus Christ, you say, "Wow, this is <laughs> this is a day to do it. I invite you right now to come while we're standing here and just slip down here down the aisle to me and they'll take you out. God's laid something else on your heart maybe some other issue and you just want prayer you want somebody to pray with you you've been going through some struggles and some issues and you just need somebody to be there and pray with you if not you can talk to me later if God's still uh, laying something on your heart or you want to know more about what it means to be a Christian let's bow in prayer shall we Father we come this morning and we we thank you so much for your goodness and your love Jesus Jesus went to the cross for us. Wow, that's so amazing, Father, to me. He, he, he left his home in glory. He left the, the beauty of heaven to come down here to earth and live among sinful men. Not in the splendor of a palace, but, Father, in, in a poor community, in a poor neighborhood, he gave himself that way, and he went to the cross. And he knew, he he said ahead of time, he knew exactly what was going to happen, but he went anyway because he loved us that much. And, Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for the love of Jesus. I thank you for the resurrection this morning, Father. Thank you. Thank you for the time we've had today, Father. Might you be honored because when we go out of this place, we live our lives more fully and completely for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You would you see?